We're in uh, Luke chapter 15, and we been, began a study last week called uh, Lost and Found. And this is uh, the Lost and Found department chapter of Luke's gospel. And of course, last week we looked at this um, beginning of this chapter. And if you were to break this down, it's a parable that Jesus told. We looked at that last week. But in that parable, there's these um, scenes that change. And the scene opens with a lost sheep, right? There were a hundred sheep, one goes missing, and the shepherd goes out looking for one sheep and does so until he finds that sheep. And then there's a parable, part of that parable, of the now the lost silver. We'll look at that, a lost coin. We're going to see that today. And then, Lord willing, in future Sundays, we'll look at the lost son and the lost sibling. And that's often the... Uh, the parable of the prodigal and as often it's called but there are really these four things that we see which are lost and uh, we trust as well uh, God wants found and so that's where we're at this morning we're going to pick this up Luke chapter 15 verse 8 Luke 15 8 down to verse 10 or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one coin does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, the, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful today, grateful for the very fact that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And Lord, I thank you that you are in the business uh, uh, in such a way, O oh Lord, of redeeming, of finding lost people. And Lord, I thank you for this parable that was spoken so many years ago by our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we look at it today, may you teach it to us. May you give us the eyes of understanding to see the hidden meaning in it. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We find this parable, very simple little part of this bigger parable, but it's, it's basically a story <clears throat> Jesus drives home about a woman who has um, these pieces of silver and she loses them having 10 coins of silver. Now, this was most likely a headband that would have been worn. It's still customary in some countries in the world today. For instance, if you ever see a, a woman from India uh, we're in a wedding you'll often see uh, a headband sometimes very elaborate with gold coins or round pieces of uh, silver or gold <coughs> preferably gold in this parable we have the story of a woman who had a headband and most likely it looked like something like this it would have been a string of coins that would have been uh, probably stamped with a Jewish uh, uh, image it wouldn't have been an image of man or anything like that i don't know this one these have stars of david on them <coughs> excuse me and they were strung together and it uh, we'll talk a little bit about that but one of them goes missing one of them is lost and it was a very important thing because uh, not only was were these coins valuable but they also spoke about the woman because they actually were something that would have been sort of given as a uh, a token of a, almost a dowry that a bride's father would have passed on to the bride at the time of marriage. And so this is a married woman. She has this headband of these silver coins. 
And one of them suddenly goes missing. And you can imagine, like all of us have lost things, I'm sure. Uh, I lose things all the time. Uh, I lose um, my keys. I lose my wallet. My daughter has told me that many times. And she's got me, uh, for upcoming birthday, these little, you know, Apple tags or whatever. You're supposed to put one in your wallet, and then you can actually find it with your phone, you know. And I'm, I'm hoping that helps solve that. But I have, over the years, lost many things. Most of the time I find them again, sometimes nowhere near where I think my wife hid them. But anyways, uh, I, I do that and I, I, I lose stuff and you, you know how that goes. And sometimes, you know, you go to clean out a car, you go clean out uh, some nook in the house or whatever and you find things like coins and whatnot. Sometimes you don't even know they're miss- missing. But in this case, this woman, uh, she has this prized possession that really described not only it was a gift from most likely her father on the day of her marriage, but it was something that spoke and brought glory to her as a bride. And you can imagine, it would be like losing your wedding ring. And a bride would obviously be very concerned if she lost her wedding ring and would be looking everywhere for that. Um, and it, until you wouldn't give up on that, right? Until you had gone through every place that you could imagine in doing that. Well, again, as we looked at last week, the theme verse for the Gospel of Luke is Luke 19.10, which says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that really shows the mission that Christ was on when he came to this earth, and he, he comes to lost mankind, lost people. And when he uses this parable, sitting there, with the Pharisees and the scribes present and the publicans and sinners. Remember chapter 15 opens up with that crowd that was there and Jesus is sitting with them. And uh, I was listening to Jay Vernon McGee on that this week. I uh, just wanted to hear his take on that chapter. He does one, one uh, teaching session on that and I went through it and he told a funny little story that uh, that chapter opens up with, of course, it says he, he, in the King James, it says he eateth with publicans and sinners, or he was with publican sinners and he eateth with them. And um, when uh, this uh, preacher was preaching that one day, and a little girl came into the church, she was listening in the back, and when the church service was over, she ran right up to the preacher and she said, I didn't know my name was in the Bible. And he thought, well, I don't know how your name's in the Bible. And, and, and she says, well, it says that Jesus sat with publicans and sinners and Edith with them. And my name's Edith, she said. <laughs> well, I would just say it this way. You can put your name in this text because we are lost people. And we are sinners. And we need salvation. And Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Anyways, we'll look at a little bit more at that. But if you want an outline with this Luke 15, it's actually verses 8 to 10. I didn't update that apparently. Uh, the silver was valuable. And we know that because silver is valuable. Now, it's not as valuable as gold, but silver today is still a valuable metal and a commodity. And it's something that um, people treasure. And they will lay it up as a treasure here on this earth. Often coins have a mix of silver in them. Or uh, in that day, they were made entirely of silver, as much as they could in that. And I want to just say it this way, that the silver itself being valuable was something, because this woman, number one, it was something that she had that gave her um, 
a token value. And it's not that she was equivalent to the silver that was in that headband. Really, today, if you had one-ounce pieces of silver, and they often sell one-ounce coins and whatnot, those are running somewhere anywhere between, well, let's just say about $30 an ounce for a coin, all right? If you were to buy them somewhere, give or take. Um, and silver at just their regular value of it and as a metal is actually less than that, but when it's made into a coin, it makes it more valuable. But, but so, you know, you might say, then, you know, maybe $300 for 10 coins, right? Because that's what it was. She had 10 of them. One of them goes away. She's lost a $30 piece of silver. Oh, well, that's not really worth that much, but it was the fact that it was, it showed an assessed value to her as a woman, and not as a monetary value like that, but rather that she brought glory to her husband and that her father had given her that as a gift on her wedding day. And some fathers could afford a lot, some couldn't. And in this case, she got 10 of these silver coins. Maybe there were other brides out there that had more coins, but that's what she had. And all of a sudden, something that was valuable, one-tenth of that is gone. By the way, it's interesting when you look at the parable as it's laid out here in Luke 15. You remember last week we looked at the, the hundred sheep, right? One goes missing. And you find someone searching for one in a hundred. You come to this one and you have one coin out of ten goes missing. And somebody's searching for one in ten. You come to the next section and you have a lost son, right? And there's one out of two. And there were two sons. And then, you know... The last part of this chapter is a one-to-one, a lost sibling and a father who's looking for that lost sibling who's right there in front of him. And, you know, it just drives home the point that God looks out and he doesn't matter where we stand in the, the whole scheme of humanity, one in a thousand, one in a hundred, whatever, we are valuable to God and he wants to seek and to save that which is lost. The silver was valuable. It, number one, declared her status as a married woman. So when she was to wear this, and often they would wear it even around uh, a village or their, their city streets, they would dress up and they'd wear these uh, head ornaments with these coins. It declared to everybody that she was a woman that was already married. And she was taken. And I think that says that her heart was owed or owed allegiance to a man and it was a declaration of her love for that husband. It really is a picture also of the very fact that God himself has betrothed himself to us, hasn't he? And he, is, he loves his church. And the church brings glory to the Savior. As the bride and the bridegroom demonstrate in that. And you see that. The, the coins also would declare not only a dependence as a married woman, as a glory to her husband, but also an independence. In that if something happened to her husband, and she would have some money to be able to go and to start over and to buy food and those kind of things if she needed to do that. And sometimes that was used as such in that. It was something that declared her independence in some ways. And again, more wealthy woman, women might wear more coins, but this woman had ten and one had gone missing. By the way, it was also used to identify women that were not faithful to their husbands. 
And some commentaries talk about that, that if a woman was not faithful to her husband and committed adultery, then coins would be removed from the headband by the husband or by whoever had made that. And she would be forced to wear it as a declaration of her sinfulness. Well, I'm sure this woman, she doesn't, it isn't related to her sinfulness that this has gone missing. She's lost it. And you can imagine, she doesn't want her reputation tarnished either. And so she's going to look for that and uh, look very carefully for that. The coin was of great value to this woman. However, it had absolutely no value so long as it was lost. You know, that's the way it is, isn't it? When you lose something and nobody else knows where it is either, you know what? It has no useful value, does it? You might have a $100 bill and if the wind takes it and blows it away, you know what? You don't have $100 anymore, right? Um, or a coin that you drop or whatever else because it is only useful as it is being used or it has value as it sits there with you, right? In this case, that's silver. And so I would just say this, that when God made people, he made us and stamped his image on us. And he did so not because God wanted to assess a value per se, as in a value like you're worth so much and this person's worth so much. If I was to buy or sell you, that wasn't the whole thing. He actually stamped his image on us. And by the way, he's infinitely wealthy, right? And he gave mankind that image. And we know that from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, doesn't it say? It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, That's the triune God speaking, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. But that beginning part of that verse says, let us make man in our image. Do you know that you were created and you were made with the image of God stamped on you? Now, it is marred by sin today in our sinful nature. But I've said this before. The very fact that of all the created things that are alive on earth, mankind is the only one that has a desire to worship. And you say, well, you know, sure, other animals must have, you know, desires to worship. No, they don't. You don't see higher order animals like dolphins, you know, erecting some underwater temple or something like that. You, you don't see dogs bowing down and, unless they've been trained to do so to get a treat. That's about it. But uh, they, they don't do so because of they, they want to honor someone or something. It's not in them to do that. Uh, you can certainly train animals to do certain things. I guess you could train people to do certain things, right? You know, there are people out there bowing down and they're going to churches or temples or other things, synagogues, and, and maybe their heart has, doesn't have any connection to that. But you know what? There is a desire within us to worship. In our sin, in our sin nature, and the book of Genesis talks about that sin that entered in and it destroyed that fellowship that God had. It was a condition of lostness that took place. The coin being lost. Well, man became lost as he sinned against God. And in doing so, he is of no value so long as he remains lost. And exactly, really, he just... He remains lost and his whole life could be spent uh, you know, serving himself or serving creation and not the creator. But God wants his glory known. And he wants people to worship him. 
In uh, the book of Genesis chapter 3, it says this, And they, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The reason they hid themselves is because they had sinned, and they knew that their sin was before God, and all of a sudden, for the very first time, this uh, Adam and Eve knew that their sin had separated them from a holy God. And what do they do? They hide from him. The lost coin seen in Luke 15 really pictures sort of like the lost condition of people. And you know, a coin doesn't really have much choice on how it gets lost, right? It falls off the headband, it falls out of your pocket when you pull something else out, and it goes and it gets lost. But for people, when we choose to sin, we're demonstrating we're lost. But you know, you're already, you're already lost. Because if you're in Adam's race of people, and all of us are, He's our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And Eve being our great-great-great-great-grandmother all the way back. They were lost and there was no hope of finding them on their own. They would not be found on their own. Instead, God comes looking for them. It's a good thing God comes looking for us. Really, the woman in Luke 15 who is searching the house. She's lighting a light, all of that. She's searching for that which was lost. And you know... In just like coins, sometimes people don't even know they're lost. They rather remain in darkness. John's gospel says that that men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Our sin not only separates us from God, but it makes us want to get away from God. And we hide. That's why where there's often where sin and sinful activity takes place, you'll often find that done in the, underneath the umbrella of darkness physical darkness also spiritual darkness well we know that that was the case there in in um, genesis chapter 3 verse 23 therefore the lord god sent him out of the garden of eden to the till the ground from which he was taken that was adam's uh, lost condition it forced him out of the presence of god he would have remained lost had god never gone and offered a way back to reconcile, to be redeemed, to be brought back and made valuable in that. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 7, the Lord says this, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. God ascribes glory to man, but it's glory that is due him, the creator. You know, when you say the word Lord in English, the word Lord actually means one who is the owner or someone who's master. And it's a word that is used uh, in, the, in the notion of when you say Lord God or Lord Jesus Christ, you're ascribing the glory that is due him as creator and owner. And he is creator and owner of all things. Everything was made by him and there wasn't anything that was made that wasn't made by him. And yet, when we come to ourselves, and I think of mankind today, and men, women, boys, and girls, guess what? We sometimes, we, we are on the wrong end of that. We think we are what is to be glorified. Uh, in our study on Wednesday nights, we've been going through a book called We Will Not Be Silent by Erwin Lutzer. In that chapter we dealt with this week was the hypersexualization of children. 
very sad thing that's going on in our society. And what it's doing is ascribing glory in the wrong direction. Instead of, of ascribing glory to God who made us as we are, instead we want to somehow glorify the creation. And sadly, it leads to perversion and it leads to all kinds of things because it always ends up with sin uh, causing more sin. And that's the way it goes. And we are not becoming more enlightened in our society. We're actually becoming darker as we go further and further away from God. But he wants to save us. He wants to bring us into his light, into his kingdom of light. And he does so by faith as you trust him. Repent from your sin and turn to him. Well, we're reminded from Isaiah that he formed us, he made us, and it is for his glory that he did so. We also know that... uh, uh, he, he doesn't forget us. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we, we don't even realize something is lost until we go looking for it. You know, the sad thing is that that's how a lot of people go through life in looking at other people. They don't even, they don't even know people are lost. They themselves, they don't know they're lost until the word of God comes to them and it begins to convict the heart. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As he takes the word of God, and as that is brought to us, he bears record and witness in our hearts and minds that we're sinners, and that there's a holy God, and then he draws us towards him. And I do believe that, that that's his work, that's what he does, and he focuses on that. And I remember when I was a teenager, and there were a lot of weeks I didn't even really think about God. I didn't know much about him. I went to church every now and again, and I did that, but I, I just went for a religious activity, and I would go out and, and live like I didn't even know God. And I remember I began to read the Bible, and I began to read the Bible on a challenge from a Christian friend who said, why don't you read the Bible? And I thought, I will, just to prove him wrong. And I began to read the Bible, and I began to realize I was a sinner, and I needed salvation. And as God began to reveal that to me in my heart, and he shone the light into the dark recesses of my heart, places that I didn't even realize were wrong, and nobody else around me would have known either, and all of a sudden he showed me, you need a Savior. And I knew that my only hope was Jesus Christ. And I bowed my heart before him, my knee before him, back there in 1988, and oh, I'm so thankful, because... I realized that he is my creator and I don't, I don't really have a right to live for myself only. And yet he gives us so much, doesn't he? Well, the silver had great value. He doesn't forget us. Isaiah 49 verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isn't it great the Lord won't forget you? See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Do you know God remembers us because he etches us or engraves us on the palms of his hands. By the way, that's written hundreds of years before Christ would come to this earth. And yet that, that section in Isaiah, Isaiah 49, is a prophecy uh, to Zion, you know, which is... Uh, the, the spiritual name for Jerusalem and those that occupied Jerusalem. 
And he says, I haven't forgotten you. I've engraven you on my hands. And do you know when Jesus went to the cross and he was, he was, his hands were pierced for you, his feet were pierced for you, did you know that for all eternity those marks will be on him? You come to the book of Revelation and the Bible, as John sees this heavenly vision of a lamb, as it were, slain. That's what the Bible says. That lamb is identified as the Lord. And that lamb who was slain was Jesus, wasn't he? When he was on the cross. Forever in heaven, the marks of our redemption and the marks of really that bear his love for us will be visible. It won't be something that will be detestable, like we might see a wound today on somebody, and you know you don't want to see that. It'll be something we'll look at and say, thank you, Lord. That's the price of my redemption. Someone took my place when I should have been punished on a cross. He took my place. And forever and ever, those marks will be there. You see, because as Isaiah says here, it's really the Lord who is speaking, but he says, can a woman forget her nursing child? And not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Well, we see the silver was valuable. But we see also the search was intense. Look what it says here in verse 8 again. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Wrapped up in that one verse, you see this intense search that goes on. You know, she didn't just say, oh, well, missing a, missing a, a coin. Oh, well, we'll just leave that. No, she does something else. She lights a lamp, makes sure there's plenty of light, and then she goes and she begins to sweep the whole house. And I'm sure it wasn't just a little bit of sweeping. It was... I'm going to clean everything, make sure everything's turned over. I'm going to look at everything until I find this coin. The search was intense. And by the way, the search involved a number of things. First of all, the desire to look for it. And again, a picture here, this woman pictures for us someone who is searching, someone who's on a mission, someone who's going to find that which is lost. And I really think she really pictures both the Lord in her action, but also the Lord's servants, those who are his, those who know him, who have been found, believers. And you know what he's told us to do? To go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that involves a lot of diligence. It involves work. This woman went out and she worked until she would find And if you're going to go out and reach a lost world, it takes effort. It takes work. It takes dedication. It takes a plan. Here at the Madawaska Gospel Church, we have um, what we call, I guess, a missions program where we help support missionaries. And part of that is that every year we come together and we look at uh, money needs of various missionaries and, and we give money and that money gets dispensed as we can before the Lord And other things like it involves other support needs like praying for people. That takes work. Prayer is work. Prayer should be a a joyful time with the Lord, but it takes work to do that. If you don't believe it, then just do like me. If you have insomnia, try to pray in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you'll be falling asleep. That's the way it works, right? Prayer. 
She lights a lamp. God's lamp, by the way, is this book. This book will open up the deepest, darkest resources of the heart and mind of every person. And it's relevant today as it ever was. It's a great book. Open up the lamp. You see, you'll never reach spiritually lost people without God's book. Because it's the only answers that we have that show us the way of redemption. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what the Bible says of itself. And then it says she sweeps the house and searches for it. You know, there's some things I could mention. First of all, the house was dark. And before the house could, or the coin could be found, the house had to be lit. You know, I've already mentioned that we are in our sin. We live in darkness. Paul the Apostle mentions that also in 2 Corinthians 4. He talks about the lost condition of people. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, it's not understood, it's, it's hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's a sad reality, but those who are perishing, present tense, not who will perish, but are perishing. Because in our sin, we're already in a condition of lostness and we are perishing. It's a sad thing when people don't know they're perishing. But the reason they don't know they're perishing is because their minds are blinded. It says, whose minds the God of this age, that's Satan, has blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And he just simply says this, that this gospel is, is automatically veiled from those whose minds have been blinded. So we're up against that. But not an impossibility. Light the light. And Paul goes on to talk about the gospel. And he talks about the message. And he talks about the treasure that we have in earthen vessels. That's the servant. As you go out and you bring that word to people. And you witness to them. It's just like that woman who lit a lamp and she went out searching. Our spiritual condition is deadness before the Lord when we're in our sins. But praise Him that He makes us alive. And you, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's how Ephesians 2 opens up. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. There Jesus is talking about the work that comes from, from God. And He's the one who reaches toward us And he gives us that light and he brings it to our hearts and minds and the understanding of it and the conviction of our sin. And then you have to exercise your will and say, yes, Lord. Sadly, many don't. Many will say, no, I'd rather be in darkness and rather be lost in this scary world and with death knocking at my door. Don't be that person like that. We find that lost people are in darkness, but lost people are also in the dirt. The woman had to sweep the house. Why? Because there was probably dirt in those corners of the dark house. And she didn't even know it until she swept it. We live in the dirt sometimes. Sometimes it's really glamorous dirt, right? By the way, the world has all the bells and whistles and gadgets and gizmos and thrills and and all the things that go with it. But most of it's dirt when you get down to it. Those things of themselves cannot save. And he, he's promised, by the way, to do that. And, and there, 
they're living in this, or this coin is lost somewhere out there in the dirt. It's not of no value, no use as it's there. It had to be brought back to a place where it could be put in its rightful place and used again. Romans chapter 1 speaks of the, the condition of, of people before a holy God when they remain in their sin. Again, we today fool ourselves, and I'm talking about a society that says we are now more enlightened than ever before. And I would say the further you get from God, the darker you actually are. You might have more knowledge and information available to you at all kinds of things. We, we have lots of that. I can Google something right now, and Google became a verb somewhere about 20 years ago or whatever. And you can, you can Google something and then go and find information about anything. You can look up a YouTube video and, and, you know, all of a sudden you're working on your transmission and taking it all apart, putting it back together. You never went to automated, automotive school or had someone to teach you that. You can do those kind of things. I don't know if it'll always turn out well, but anyways. <laughs> sometimes you have to wade through that information. So we have more information today and all that, but we don't have necessarily more light. People are just living with a lot more knowledge in the dirt. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and uprightness, or unrighteousness excuse me, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a purposeful suppression of the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Remember, he stamped his image on us. And you have to go through and really fight that to come to a point where you choose to to just suppress that truth enough so that now you don't believe you're even part of that. There is no God, right? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The creation bears witness of a creator. But the creation itself doesn't tell us who he is and what he's like, necessarily. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. There was a time where men and women and boys and girls knew they, they knew God, but then began to suppress that truth. And they went further and further. Look what it says. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They were ending up in the dirt. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. You see, when you end up in the dirt, and you're away from the light, and the truth of God's word, you will all of a sudden start worshiping anything but God. Because remember, that heart's desire is still there to worship, but you won't worship God. You'll worship idols. You'll worship you know, carved images, or stone things, or medallions, or those kind of things, and you won't worship God. God wants a heart of worship that is directed to him. And he's offered a way to do that through Christ. The other part of this is that lost people are in disuse. Just like that coin had no value, so long as it was missing and lost, so people are in that same state. And as I said before, there's always times where you go out there and you're looking for something and you find it. And sometimes it's just by accident, right? One of my favorite cartoons of uh, the Far Side cartoon is a picture here of uh, 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 the wife. and She's apparently cleaning the couch cushions, right? You've all done that? And you always find things there. Sometimes they've been there for a long time, right? 
But it says, Andrew, so that's where you've been. In good heavens, there's my old hairbrush too. Well, listen, my friends, that's kind of what happens, right? We lose things and all of a sudden we find them here. She apparently found her husband that had been missing for a while in the couch cushions. And, and, and I, I know we just going to make humorous things of that. But the reality is this. There are lost men everywhere. And there are valuable things everywhere. I marvel at what God does when he redeems somebody and brings them back into a place of use. And he brings their talents and gifts. And he, he gives them sometimes new spiritual gifts as he breathes his life into them. And that which was used before for sin now can be used for his glory. Isn't that great? You never know what you'll find in an old, old couch. Back in 2020, there was a man uh, uh, in Michigan... His name, I have it right here. Uh, I believe I do anyways. Uh, Howard Kirby. There we go. Howard Kirby. And Howard Kirby found, well, he went to a a store, uh, a secondhand store, thrift shop, and he wanted to get a couch. So he went and he found this old couch that someone had dropped off there, and he brought it home. But he noticed one of the cushions was lumpy, and it just didn't feel right. And so he thought, well, I'll look at that, see if I can fix it. When he opened up the couch cushion, he found a little over uh, $43,000. He, he thought, well, I bought this couch and it came with it. Maybe I'll just keep it. And he decided that he even called a lawyer. And the lawyer said, yes, that's yours. You can keep the money. Only one thing, he was a, he's a born-again Christian. And he said, well, maybe this is somebody else's money. It's not my money. And they lost it. So he went back to the thrift store and explained what had happened. And they searched for the, the owner. And uh, the owner actually was a, a woman uh, named Kim. And she had come and dropped off the couch. And it had been her grandfather's. And he had re- recently died. And they were cleaning out his place. And they had taken his couch, not knowing there was money in it, and brought it to the thrift store. Well, long story short, he ended up giving that money back to the family. And the family could use that money. And they said, my grandfather, he was a very thrifty man. And he ended up, you know, apparently putting cash away uh, in a couch in doing that. But, you know, I thought of that. How many of us have just maybe discarded something and, and not known what the value truly was in that? I look out and I see people sometimes and their life is a wreck. It's wrecked by sin. But God looks and he sees value ascribed to them. So much value that he gave his life for them. He gave his life for you and me. Wow. We might just see someone who's evil or committing crime or, you know, they're drunk again or you name it. The sin after sin after sin. And yet God looks and he says, let me save you and I'll make you someone who can be useful and of value again. God does that. The Bible says God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he looks beyond the sin and he sees what we really are and could be if we will be redeemed. Come to him by faith. The search was intense. And by the way, you want to make sure, uh, and, and as I said, you know, lost people are everywhere. Be looking for them. Acts 16.31, in the book of Acts, in Acts 16 especially, you have the account of Paul on his second missionary journey, 
And he's there in Macedonia and Philippi. And there are lost people in that city. One of them was a jailer. Someone that probably everybody had given up on that way. And he is dealing with the worst of the worst of that province of Macedonia. And here Paul and Silas end up in his jail. Why? Because they had been preaching the gospel and it made people mad. And basically they ended up in jail after being beaten. And they're there in the middle of the night. The Bible says they're singing. And they're praising God in the middle of the night. And the prisoners heard them. By the way, the jailer probably was hearing them too. You read in that chapter, there's an earthquake. It was a divine earthquake, not just a little earthquake. It was something that that hit and the doors of the prison are open and the prisoners didn't leave. I think they were so captivated by the words of Paul and Silas and the songs they were singing that they wanted to stay and listen to some more. And by the way, that's what God does when he releases you from sin. Well, the jailer comes along and he wants to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners are gone. And they, he lights a light, goes in, and they're all there. And he says this, what must I do to be saved? And they said this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. When a man gets right with the Lord, there are others that also will get right with the Lord around. And that verse really talks about that. And this man becomes a Christian. Later, we have the book of Philippians in our, our Bible It's a letter written to the church at Philippi. That was the city where Paul was. There was a man that said, I believe. And he went from being uh, really probably an outcast. He ended up being a prison guard. Nobody wanted to be a prison guard, but he ended up as a prison guard around these guys. And here he is now rejoicing as a saved man and his family with him. Before him, there was a demon-possessed slave girl she was released and then in the beginning of that chapter a woman named Lydia and she also becomes a Christian in her household also and there was a church that started God sees a city like Philippi and he says I'm going to start a church there and today we read the book of Philippians as a tremendous little book a book of great encouragement and joy as you read through it well that's the way it is and uh, there was this success as well. And by the way, I'm going to move ahead here, but we have the search being intense, but the success brought rejoicing. Look what it says in verses 9 and 10. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents you know there's a party that goes on in heaven every time somebody repents and comes to faith because when they do so they that which is lost is now found and i picture it that woman she's gone through the house the house has never been as clean as it's been in this this search right and swept the whole house and there in there there's the coin and she grabs that coin brings it back to its rightful place in that headband, which brought glory to her and also to her husband. And you know, when God goes out and he's already reached out and searched for the sinner, and the sinner is found, brought back into the rightful place, it brings great glory to God. And even the angels in heaven rejoice when that takes place. Oh, I don't know what that's exactly like, because 
I haven't been to heaven yet, but someday I will be. And I wonder if all heaven erupts every time somebody comes to faith in Christ. My friends, are you that lost coin that needs to be found? Maybe today is the day that you're found. Are you a believer who is now, you're not living like where you should? You know what? You have a place with God, the creator of the universe. And he wants glory given to him. Walk with him in that. This parable which Jesus told, I believe, is so pertinent for us today. You can know him. Turn to him in faith. Father, thank you for the word of God. Lord, as we think about this and we just think about how so often, uh, Lord, I have looked out and I have seen something that I don't think is valuable or gone to a place where I don't think there's something lost. And yet, Lord, you search the hearts and minds and you see things as they really are. Lord, I pray that the light of the word of God, the light of the gospel would go out into our homes, into our community, into our country in these days and lord you would shine forth in those areas and that lost people would come to saving faith that many today would be brought back into that place of fellowship and glory for your sake we pray this in jesus name amen